0: If you were intrigued by Alexa's conversation about the 1919 Newport sex scandal, this bonus episode is for you. A few years ago, my colleague Mark Arsenault told another side of the story at Globe Live, a storytelling event put on by the Globe at a theater in downtown Boston. This is a recording of Mark's piece. I hope you enjoy it. Sometimes things that seem true are fake. And things that seem entirely fake, like so crazy they could only be fiction, are actually true. To show you what I mean, let's go back more than a century to 1906. That was the year a newsman named John Raytham showed up for a job interview at the Providence Journal. Raytham knew how to sell himself Just 37, he was hired as the paper's managing editor. He would soon become a famous figure in American journalism. And then, later, an infamous one. Especially after he and a young Franklin Delano Roosevelt got caught up together in a sex scandal. I know, that sounds fake. (laughs) We'll get to the sex in a minute. First, we need to know John Ratham. He was a prototype for the cigar-chomping newsman, a six-foot-plus, 260-pound Australian who had cut his teeth in the newspaper business on the West Coast and in Canada. By 1912, Wraytham was the Providence Journal's top editor. From this post, he would elevate the paper into one of the nation's most important publications with his scoops reprinted across the country. During World War I, the journal published gripping stories about the powerful propaganda machine run by German diplomats here in America. This was back when hostile nations had to physically send people here to meddle with public opinion. <laughs> Before Facebook. <laughs> These scoops made Wraithville a star. He talked of how the newspaper got its stories by intercepting German communications, by secretly placing reporters undercover in odd jobs in the German embassy and how journal reporters pulled off the ultimate spycraft cliche, distracting a diplomat on a streetcar and then swapping the man's briefcase for an identical briefcase full of old newsprint. Perhaps the the greatest story involved a journal employee placed as a stenographer in the office of the Austrian General Consul in New York. This young woman reported back that the consul was preparing to ship a box of incriminating documents the Allies would be desperate to have. This is how Ratham explained it in a speech in Toronto in 1917. The day this box was finally nailed up, this young lady, under instructions, stayed late and ate her luncheon at the office. There were only two or three people left in the office at the lunch hour. One of them was Captain Von Papen, the German military attache, a man with a weakness for beauty and talent in feminine form. (laughs) Captain Von Papen proceeded to make love to her sitting on this box, a packing case some three or four feet square. It gets better. Afterwards, Ratham said, the woman drew a pair of hearts on the box in red crayon and Von Papen himself drew the arrow through the hearts. That drawing allowed British authorities to identify and intercept the crate at its next port. Hell of a story. Not true. <laughs> None of the stories were true. Yes, the paper had published some legitimate scoops, but Wraitham fabricated all the spy craft. Eventually, these lies caught up with him. In 1918, the Justice Department pressured Ratham into signing sort of a secret confession in which he admitted the paper did not intercept any radio communications. There were no reporters undercover in the embassies. And the sex on the crate, Ratham admitted he had only heard rumors that something like that might have happened somewhere to somebody. The government kept Raythan's confession secret, at least at first. Why is not entirely clear? Leverage, maybe? That brings us to 1919 and that sex scandal I promised. Even by today's pretty weird standard for news, this was crazy. It began in Newport, Rhode Island. At the time, Newport was a Navy town with 25,000 sailors. When you draft lots of men by random, of course, a certain percentage are going to be gay. These men, who may have grown up thinking there was no one like them in the world, found each other in Newport and established a thriving underground scene. Remember that homosexuality was illegal then. Gay people were treated as criminals. These were primitive times. People thought smoking was good for you. (laughs) The problem started when a Navy machinist complained about rumors of sex among sailors. The Navy agreed to investigate. But you can't court-martial a man without evidence. Now, it's gonna sound like I'm making this up, I'm not. The Navy decided it would be a good idea to recruit a team of handsome sailors to infiltrate the gay scene in a sting operation. (laughs) These secret agents were to identify the men giving oral sex by personally getting as much as they could find. This is what the government did with your great-grandpa's tax dollars. (laughs) At first, the plan worked. Sailors were entrapped. Some went to prison. We can look back now and appreciate the tragedy that these men were prosecuted for being gay. But the sting didn't stop there. It went after civilians, too. And guess who approved that? the Deputy Secretary of the Navy, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Later, FDR would deny any knowledge of the methods the Navy used to collect evidence. As you can probably guess, it was just a matter of time before the Navy's oral sex scheme blew up in their faces. The sting implicated a local minister who had a very public trial. And here's where John Ratham comes back into the story. Ratham fanned the outrage over the Navy's methods into a nationwide scandal. He hammered Roosevelt in print. Roosevelt didn't need any scandals, he already had an eye on politics. So FDR sued Ratham for libel, and also threatened to sue any paper who ran Raytham's articles about him. To kill a story like this nowadays, you get Michael Cohen to pay off the National Enquirer. <laughs> Anyone who thinks Democrats don't play hardball should consider what FDR did next. He got the Justice Department to release Raytham's 1918 confession about being a fabulous. It was brutal. Raytham was savaged by the national media. The New York World wrote an editorial headlined, Confessions of a Faker. Raytham tried to bluster his way past it, but he had been exposed as a fraud. None of this helped Roosevelt. A US Senate investigation put a lot of blame on FDR. The New York Times found the Senate report so scandalous that part of its headline reads, details are unprintable. But Roosevelt bounced back better than Ratham. Ratham got sick and was dead in three years at age 56. The most incredible thing about John Ratham may be this. In the 1970s, two former editors at the Providence Journal, where I used to work, attempted a deep scrub of Raytham's life. They couldn't find relevant birth records for anyone named John Raytham in Australia. They concluded that Raytham's personal biography, even his name, were probably all made up. Who was he? Even in death, he's a blur of truth and lies. I find something strangely reassuring about this. (laughs) That fact and fiction have always coexisted in American public life. And the Ratham story shows that even great lies are ephemeral, ultimately stripped away, no matter how great the liar. Thank you. If you want to know more about this wild chapter of American history, check out Mark Arsenault's new book, which comes out in April. It's called The Imposter's War, The Press, Propaganda, and the Newsman Who Battled for the Minds of America.